Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome to Paradox, everyone. I'm Josh. I'm Jimmy. And we are so happy that you joined us. Today, we have an incredible honor. Uh, we are honored to have Clifford and Joyce Pinner on the show. How are you guys doing? We're doing great, thanks. Clifford and Joyce are both authors. They're speakers. Joyce is a clinical nurse specialist and Clifford a, psycho a psychologist. And so they really specialize and focus in on Christian marriage and sex. And I guess that's kind of... Uh, our first question, how did you guys get involved in the sex industry? Well, I was in practice as a psychologist. I'd gotten my doctorate in about four years earlier, and I was asked to teach a group of 60 wives of seminary students a course on sexual adjustment in marriage. And I was in the middle of, uh, in fact, in charge of the curriculum development for Azusa Pacific University. They were just yeah. setting up a new school of nursing when Cliff was asked to teach this class. And since there were 60 women, I decided I needed to at least have one woman representative. So <laughs> we, we, taught, we taught that class, studied like crazy because we weren't specialists in that area. And yeah. it went so well, we started getting asked to teach at other places. And then finally we decided we need to get some training. So we went to Masters and Johnson and other places to get trained. We always feel it was a real calling because I had thought I would spend my life training nurses and being an academic person, a professor, sure. and Cliff was going to be a clinical psychologist seeing clients in private practice, which we still do now together. But we were always playing catch-up. The demand for us came before our qualifications, and so we'd always have to get trained after we were being called and requested to do wow. what we do. That's a great problem to have. Yeah. Yes, it has been. <laughs> Word books came to us and wanted wanted their uh, sexual books, so uh, that's when we wrote The Gift of Sex, and that came out in, in 1981. We've revised it since then, but uh, we just sent in our 11th manuscript a couple of weeks ago for a new book that's coming out. So Okay, wow. Yeah, and so y'all, actually, one of your books I, I want to ask you about, um, getting your sex life off to a great start. Now, to my father-in-law that listens, I've never touched his daughter inappropriately. Um, but <laughs> but we did read that book, um, and so it was certainly helpful in getting us started. Speak to that and just some of the struggles that new couples have. Well, but one of the biggest struggles we find when young couples come to us shortly after marriage is just that they didn't do a good job of preparing because they had so much passion and excitement before marriage, they assumed it would all be great after marriage. And they didn't make the transition from that premarital passion into marriage. And that's what getting your sex life off to a great start we believe is designed to help couples clarify their expectations, dispel myths, really get to know themselves and each other, and get to know 
what the Bible teaches about sex and how to function sexually positively in a marriage. And so what we have couples do with, with that particular book is we, we encourage them to read it starting about six months before they get married and, and work through it so that when they get to the point of marriage, they're really prepared and ready rather than uh, coming in kind of blind. Now, how has that changed over the years now that even with Christian couples, cohabitation is almost now the norm? And yes, and that <clears throat> is a change, but it's, it's an interesting change in that it is the couples who are cohabitating that think they don't need that education. Mm-hmm. And yet we find that the transition if couples are sexual outside of marriage, before marriage, and then move into marriage, that takes some work to make that transition. Because married sex yeah. is very different than, than not married sex in terms of where people's minds are and what their attitude is, and, and particularly if there's been any trauma or abuse in their past, that usually shows up almost immediately as soon as a, a, a couple gets married. A couple that came to us way early in our practice had been living together, had children together, had been together seven years, had a great sex life. They got married, and within two months, it all died off. Wow. And that was when we began to develop and define the pattern that is there for particularly women, but sometimes men also, who were sexually abused as children or adolescents that outside of marriage, before marriage, sex can be great, but as soon as they make a commitment, they feel trapped like yep. they did in the abuse. The good news is, you know, I think it's David Schnarch that that, that termed the, the blessed few, uh, those that have the, the best sex. I think it's either married 45 or 50 years. Um, so the good news is, even though for those that, that might feel stuck, um, uh, that actually the commitment, uh, the lifelong love and, and sex that people experience actually result in better sex? Oh, well, there's, there's no question about that. Uh, but that is only going to be true if people are willing to deal with whatever issues surface yeah. along the yeah. way. Um, because one of the things that we know that is that sexual problems don't tend to disappear with time. Mm-hmm. They tend to get worse with time mm-hmm. unless people confront them and deal with them. Yep. yep. I know for, you know, we, as we see a lot of couples here as well, and I think the number one sexual issue that most of these couples bring into the office, and I don't even sure there's a close second, is mismatched libido. Um, well, yes, and we like to talk about that as a, a real difference in, in desire levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how did you guys help with couples to to negotiate this and come to a resolution when their libidos don't match up? Well, we first want to find out the reason for the difference. If it's just expectations, that's different. Then we just negotiate. If there's some issue for one of them or both of them, let's say one pattern we've defined is the insecure, comma, sexually needy male. And we find this man comes to marriage and was not affirmed, didn't get the affirmation he needed maybe by his mother for sure, and then maybe in dating, maybe he had traumas or got rejected. And so he looks to his wife's sexual responsiveness to him as a 
way that he feels good about himself. So it's his, he gets he gets personal affirmation by mm-hmm. her interest in him sexually. So we don't think of that necessarily as a sexual need. And that couple will usually show up in the office bringing her there because of her lack of desire. But she didn't start off lacking desire, but she feels so much pressure because pressure. it's not about mm-hmm. the two of them. It's about meeting his need that she has lost her interest over time. And his neediness and frequency need for frequency has nothing to do with actual physical desire. It has to do with anxiety about feeling affirmed, but it feels to him like that's a physical need. Right. And it's we've talked to men where it's as high as feeling like he needs it three times a day. I mean, that's mm-hmm. extreme. But And when the woman feels she can never meet his need, which is true, she never will meet his need. No, not that need. Because right. it's a sure. hole in his heart that yes. can only be met through a healing power of God and therapy and and that kind of healing. It it sounds, I mean, that's incredible truth. It sounds like y'all have done this. Y'all should really take it on the road. I mean, people need to know <laughs> that's this. That's good stuff. People <laughs> need to hear that. Yeah, we, um, you may know, we just finished rewriting our book, Restoring the Pleasure. Mm-hmm. just came out now in March. And uh, uh, the the new version, because it was about 20-some years old. And in there, we talk about this a great deal. But this is just one of the reasons for a difference in desire levels. So we don't necessarily talk about it as different in, in libido levels. We talk about difference in desire levels and fulfillment. Another, another reason why women will sometimes lack desire, because the stereotype is that the man wants it more than the woman. Sometimes it's the other way, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the reasons would be that the, the woman isn't able to let herself experience an orgasm. Mm-hmm. And after a while, she gets tired of, of coming to dinner and never getting to eat. In a related question, you know, we always say that, you know, if, if, if one of the spouses, you know, don't want to have sex, there's all sorts of reasons from physical to psychological reasons why someone wouldn't want to have sex. But, you, all, you know, you always tell them, but, but your spouse has to know that you want to want to have sex. What do you do with a couple where one of, one of the spouses, they seem not to want to want to have sex? Well, first of all, um, that would be the person that was brought in there by the spouse because that person who doesn't want to want uh, isn't going to come to won't show up. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, so then we want to find out what that's about. And I'm, I'm just dealing with a case like that right now where the, where the woman says, I have, I have never felt any particular desire. I wasn't interested um, as a, uh, in this stuff as a child. And, and what we know is that she grew up in an orphanage, never developed the bonding in that very first year of life, and so never developed the hunger or the need or the capacity for intimacy. Mm-hmm. So then we, we... Particularly touching intimacy. Yeah. Right. So then we back off from sexual therapy and start trying to help her get in touch with what we think of as a kind of a core need for connection and intimacy and then the sexual can grow out of that. So right. we shift off of sexual therapy there into much more individual dynamic therapy to help her get to that place. And with the sex and brain research results that have come out now, we also have developed 
a formula for intimacy that we actually taught long before this this research evidence was available, but now we've refined it more based on that knowledge. And there are ways you can teach uh, an adult like this who didn't bond in the first year of life because what was needed during that time was the development of the bonding hormone oxytocin. Mm -hmm. And now there are ways that, like looking in each other's eyes when we talk to each other and hugging full body. For The research has shown, for example, that, that a full body hug for 20 seconds triggers your oxytocin response, your bonding response. Uh, and there, there are different things like that, that that are showing up now in the research that are really helping people develop that intimacy when they say they don't, they don't ever feel the need for it or want it. Sure. This is all in response to your question, what do you do with the person who comes in right. who says, I don't even want to want? Right. And it's interesting, you know, because what you just, that story you just told kind of matches up with the old counseling adage, the presenting problem is seldom the problem. The presenting problem, you know, tends to be a result of the actual problem, but it's not the problem. One other thing that is unique, not only, you know, with the cohabitation that's, you know, y'all have seen it go from whether that was not the norm to now that it it sort of is, but also the prevalence of pornography. Um, What do you see as the long-term uh, or the impact of long-term pornography use in marriages? Well, the first thing we know is that if couples happen to watch it together, that it may trigger some excitement initially, but over time they move further and further apart from each other because they're not developing their intimacy face-to-face and body-to-body. Right. They're, they're developing their intimacy by looking at the screen. So if, so together, it, it move, if they're watching together, it moves them apart. If... A man is just watching it, let's say, and and stimulating himself uh, to ejaculation when he's uh, watching it. Then he often moves in the direction of moving away from her because it's just a lot more efficient to do it himself, and he gets it right every time. Mm-hmm. And what's happening with pornography is it's triggering the dopamine in the brain. Mm-hmm and not the bonding intimacy. And when we think of what sex is about, it's about becoming one. It's about intimacy. It's about deep connection. Mutuality. And mutuality, and that's what lasts forever in marriage. That's what's deeply Mm -hmm. fulfilling. And that's so different with pornography. It has nothing to do with connection or intimacy or oneness. And so it never really satisfies. It's only temporary. And that's why guys have to keep going from one site to the the next and another more extreme site. And why then they want their wife to do what they saw in the pornography, thinking it will feel the same, but it won't feel the same. It never will. Yeah, it It never never will. A wife that feels used. Very much. She feels like an object. She feels, and it, it, then the sex and marriage isn't mutual, which... That's so important. That's what Scripture teaches. Sex is all about. It has to be mutual. It has to be as good for one as it is for the other. And then I have to bring in another issue uh, that we deal with all the time, and that is the whole issue of pain, because we are seeing this more and more with young women who are newly married and experiencing a lot of physical pain, and it's no fun if it hurts. 
And uh, some of this is attributable to the kind of birth control pills that are being prescribed now that are low estrogen, high progesterone, and uh, there are other reasons. But we, we have to highlight the pain is always real, and it is not something in our head. It's something in our body. And it has to be treated and corrected, and we strongly push couples not to keep doing the activity that triggers the pain, even if it means stopping intercourse that has to, the pain has to stop because pain is self-perpetuating and more pain triggers more pain. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, let's say a couple's out there and a lot of what y'all have spoken about kind of hits home for them. What should they do first? Well, um, we always try to encourage couples to to attempt some self-help first. And so if some of these things resonate with them, our book, Restoring the Pleasure, takes them through what we do in sexual therapy. Now, a book is one size fits all, so it doesn't adapt to their particular issues or needs. But uh, uh, often you can do something with self-help. If, if that doesn't work, then getting somebody that they can talk to about their sexual issues who has some experience, some knowledge of dealing with sexual therapy issues mm -hmm. rather than just a general therapist who who maybe took a course on human sexuality in the exactly. graduate program or something. Guys, thank you so, so much. If, if any of this did hit home for you, um, I would love for you to look for, for more information from Clifford as well as Joyce. You can find more about them at passionatecommitment.com as well as the work that they do at the Institute of Sexual Wholeness. If you are a pastor or a, a counselor and you're interested in assisting couples through this very, very difficult topic uh, and issue, um, you can actually go and be trained by the Pinners and its sex sexualwholeness.com. They also, uh, you can find them on Facebook at Dr. Clifford and Joyce Pinner. Uh, guys, thank you so very, very much, and we hope you have a thank wonderful rest so of the day. Thank you so very much. Oh, thanks. Thanks great. for having us thank on. You. Let's do it again. My goodness. Do they know their stuff? Yeah. And uh, I feel like we should say penis and vagina. No, no, no. I think, and I'm sorry we let him go, because we could have given him the prize the very first to ever say stimulate to ejaculation. Oh, yeah. I wrote, on this show. We both we wrote, both wrote that down. I wrote down ej ejaculation. He said orgasm. <laughs> and Cliff, old Clifford brought it down oh, today. Oh, man. Don't you know, we were talking about earlier, the pressure? Because they're like the nation's sexperts. And when the lights go down and the Barry Manilow comes on, the pressure to perform because it's got to be fantastic <laughs> after writing all these books. And I, I loved the pornography. It stimulates or it enacts, what's the word I'm looking for? It uh, releases the dopamine, mm -hmm. not the oxytocin. Yes. You're bonding, I loved the, you're bonding with a screen. Yeah. You're bonding with a screen. And that's, so the dopamine is actually the same neurochemical as cocaine. And so to get the same effect, you need more, you need right. different. And that's the experience of pornography. But, I'm but if, if, won't you please Sorry. keep talking over me? Sorry. But if you, uh, if you, if the oxytocin is, is released, that is actually what's bonding you. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that you need more and extra and different. Correct. That is what we're truly seeking, yes. that level of intimacy. So we're seeking oxytocin, not dopamine. I think that's... Well, That's we, what we've come out of today with. We do need dopamine, too. Well, because dopamine's, you know, dope. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, 
Anyway, they're fantastic. Any of their resources you can get their, your hands on. Um, the gift of sex is right up there with the act of marriage. You know, it's just been around forever. I love to put the gift of sex or LaHaye's the act of marriage in the hands of men that have been addicted to pornography for decades because they've completely lost sight Correct, of, of, true. of what sex is. Uh, and these are Christian guys who desire that. And so that's a, it's a fantastic uh, sort of a sex manual, but from a, a Christian perspective. Really, really good. Yeah, and one thing to note, um, we do have session notes, so everything that's that's mentioned on the show, uh, be it a book or a website, um, those things go on, on our website. So if you want information about this show, anything that was discussed and or previous or future ones, go to ParadoxPodcast.com. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's Doc's Podcast. You can find me, Josh, at those three platforms. It's Doc Josh Myers. On Facebook, Dr. Jimmy. Myers and on Twitter and Instagram, J Myers Fam. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. If you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. Because we can become, in someone's life, uh, especially a child, our only, especially, you know, especially when they get older, anytime they come in the room, we're just a no-stop-it-shut-up machine. The only interactions we have with them are negative. And sometimes that can happen within a marriage.